40 years of preparation was in the Pharaoh's palace, as I said, learning how to be somebody. And then the next 40 years, God was teaching uh, Moses how to be a nobody in the desert and wilderness of, of Midian. He spent most of his time, I think, caring for sheep and talking to sheep. And so it was 80 years before Moses finally got his assignment. 80 years of preparation. But boy, did he have a big assignment. He was to lead, he was to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt to the Promised Land. And, uh, and at, during that point, I guess one could say that God was taking a nobody and remaking them into a somebody. And a second principle that we find is that sometimes we don't know all the details of what our assignment is going to be or what it is. And Abraham is a good example of that. Uh, he, he didn't know what his assignment was, or at least he knew very little about it. But he was willing to accept it anyway. In Genesis 12.1, it says, The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So he knew very little. Pack up and leave. He didn't know where he was going. And he didn't know at that time what he was going to do once he got there. But the key is that he submitted. He submitted first, totally committed to do God's will before he knew all the details. And a third principle would be willing to change what you think God's assignment for you is. We look at David for an example for this principle. David thought he knew what his assignment was, to build a temple for God. But God said, no, that assignment will go to your son Solomon. He will build a temple. So God had other things for David to do, uh, including writing the, the Psalms, or much of it. Now, if, he, if David had been the project manager for building the, the temple, he most likely would not have had time to write the 75 psalms or more that are attributed to him. And he probably would not have written Psalms 22. Psalms 22, if you recall, has at least seven very specific prophecies of what would happen to Jesus while he was on the cross. The temple would be destroyed after a while, but the psalms are still very much alive today impacting millions of people today. So God had that assignment for David, and David was willing to change to that. A fourth principle that we could learn um, would be sometimes what God assigns to us seems insane or crazy. And Joshua is a, is a good example of that. He submitted to God, even when it didn't seem to make any sense. Joshua Chapter 8, verse 6 says, So it was when, when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horn, horns came before the Lord, advanced and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. Try to picture, if you can, the faces on Joshua's military leaders when he calls them together and says, Okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. We're going to march around the city. Once a day, for six days. And then on the seventh day, 
we're going to march around seven times, and then on the seventh time, we're going to blow our horns, and we're going to shout, and all the walls are going to fall down. I can imagine, huh? You, you're kidding, aren't you? But Joshua submitted, and that's what he did, and the victory was, was, uh, was the Lord's that day. Well, the first thing we have to do is be willing to do whatever the assignment is that God has for us, even before we know what it is. That's the way God works. God says, I want you to follow me. It's kind of like, um, here's our contract between you and me. Sign it at the bottom. But Lord, there's no words on the page. Well, sign it on the bottom, and, and I'll fill it in later. Whoa. We wouldn't do that today, would we? Not in our world today. I mean, we get in enough trouble signing it when we do know what's on the page. But God says, no, I want you to trust me. I want you to sign this document, and I'll fill in the details in, in due time. But it's important for me to know that you are willing to do what I have called you to do before I even give you the content. Jeremiah, before he was ever born, we find in uh, verse 5 of chapter 1, tells us that not only does God know our identity and our complexity, which is how we're made, and our individuality, but he knows our destiny. Notice what he says. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified you. I adorned you a prophet to the nations. Now, God said four things in that, in that verse. He said, I formed you, I knew you, I sanctified you, and I ordained you. So before Jeremiah was ever even informed in the womb, God knew him, and God had sanctified him. And before he ever came out of the womb, God had already determined that Jeremiah was going to be his prophet. Well, just as he did with Jeremiah, God treasures the moments in which he sees us grow and become closer to the people that he has created us to be. Well, God has a plan for your life and for mine, and it predates our birth. It predates before we were actually being formed in the womb. God created us for a special purpose. I think that's one of the reasons why we're so bent on finding out uh, what that is. A very common question uh, is, how can I know the will of God for me in my life? In other words, how can I figure out what it is that God has planned for me to do? Now, I think we try to make this so complicated that we jump over the most simple thing of all, and that is that God is not going to reveal his path to you until you come to the place where you say, Lord God, I'm willing to do whatever it is that you created me to do. And then watch out, because God's plan for you from eternity past is going to be far greater than you could ever imagine for yourself, ever dream for yourself. He has a plan for your life, and it's greater than we could ever imagine. Before you were born, 
God knew your destiny. God knew what he had created for you to do. The Christian life is not a one-and-done deal. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ at the, at the moment of our salvation, that's not the end. Whew, I made it. I'm in heaven now. It's just the beginning. From that moment on, we are all Christians under construction. I'm a Christian under construction, and so are you. Aaron asked me today to give testimony to God's goodness, to his faithfulness, to his protection, and to his provision. God has given us assignments to help build his kingdom, and he promises to equip you with what we need to do to fill the assignments that he's given us. Hebrews 13, 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in the sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Equip you with everything good that you may do his will. And then again in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God not only equips us for the things he asks for us to do, but he is also there to help protect us and provide us, provide for us as we work out the assignments that he has for us. Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. And then two verses later, he tells us why that is. Verse 4, he says, Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you. Now, the Bible never says that doing what God has for us is going to be easy. But because of his love, he will take us through the tough times. And there will be tough times. Back in verse 2, it says, uh, it doesn't say, if you pass through the waters, or if you pass through the fire. It says, when. When you pass through the waters, and when you pass through the fire. And then Psalms 91, if you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Well, that's all kind of the background to the story that I have to tell you uh, today. But first, a disclaimer. It's not my story, and it's not Julie's story. It's not our story. We are just characters in God's stories. God is the author and he wrote us into a story. And he has written you into a story as well. In 1986, it became clear to Julie and me that God was calling us to a new assignment, or at least a 
a, a new location to what we had already been doing. God had been preparing us for this assignment. We've been working in Christian schools in Northern California for 14 years prior to that. But now God was calling us to teach in a missionary school in West Africa, Ivory Coast to be more exact. The school was called International Christian Academy or, or ICA. And it was recommended to us to commit to a two-year short-term assignment. Well, at least in those days, uh, two years was considered short-term. I'm pretty sure it's not considered short-term these days. We were told that there were all kinds of dangers that maybe we would find too difficult to deal with once we got there, especially since we had three children that we would be taking with us. These dangers could include disease, uh, like malaria. I had malaria three times. Amy, who most of you know, had it at least 18 times and probably more. Um, Julie and I both got typhoid fever at the same time. And if it were not for uh, a school nurse who, who took great care of us and close, kept close tabs on us, uh, we very likely may not have, have made it. And there are other tropical diseases as well that uh, we never knew exactly what they were. There's also the danger of creatures. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Africa, lions, hippos, things like that. I think snakes, <laughs> because we had uh, several different quite poisonous snakes. We had cobras and mambas and adders and, and vipers. There was the Gabon viper, for example, whose nickname was the two-step snake, and it was named that for good reason. Uh, there was also danger of violence and war. There were financial challenges. There were cultural challenges and other things which we never imagined. But before making our commitment, we talked to our three children about all that was involved. Our oldest daughter, Laura, was entering junior high and wasn't quite sure about going to Africa, but she was willing to try it. Our son wanted to know if they played soccer there, and uh, he was very excited to learn not only did they play soccer there, but it was their national sport. And our youngest daughter, Amy, said, I will get my sleeping bag right now. <laughs> well, God provided for the finances for our two years in short term, and we were ready to leave in less than a year. The two years commitment turned into 28 years, and our whole family fell in love with this new assignment that God had given to us. And in the first 15 years, we experienced all the things that I talked about uh, just a few minutes ago. And, uh, but, so it wasn't a walk in the park, but God's provisions and protections for us were constantly confirming to us that we were where God wanted to use us. And many of you have already heard the stories uh, that we have shared about those first 15 years all the way up to our first evacuation from Ivory Coast in 2002. And if you haven't, uh, they're mostly documented in a book that Julie wrote called No Regrets. Uh, it's in the church library. It's also available on Amazon. Well, this morning, I won't go into those details, since many of you have already heard them, but 
uh, very briefly. It included things like being caught in the crossfire of a civil war, essentially being held hostage for eight days, seeing God's protection even when a hundred uh, yard section of security wall wasn't finished yet, leaving a wide open gap, and yet the warring soldiers who were surrounding the school were too afraid to pass through that gap. If you refer back to verse 11 of Psalms 91, it said, if you remember, it said, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. I'm convinced beyond doubt that there were angels guarding that 100-yard gap in the wall. Um, it also included uh, the efforts of the French Foreign Legions and American Special Ops uh, to help come out and rescue us, traveling 10 hours through the back roads in the middle of the night, and so many other incredible ex experiences, seeing God's deliverance that he promised. Well, like I said, all that's in the book. But this morning, I will, as the old-time Paul Harvey used to say, now for the rest of the story. After evacuating, we finished that school year at Dakar Academy in Senegal, and then we turned, uh, returned to the States what, for what turned out to be a short a shortened home assignment. Towards the end of 2003, there was a peace accord that was signed in Paris uh, between the warring factions in Ivory Coast. So we had a chance to go back and reopen the school, and that's what we felt God was calling us to do. So in the spring of 2004, we headed back. Now, there may have been a peace accord, uh, but there were a lot of things that were stayed the same. There were checkpoints or barricades everywhere. I mean, there were uh, government barricades or checkpoints. There were United Nations checkpoints. There were rebel checkpoints and even a few French checkpoints. Um, and the country was, by the peace accord, was divided into three sections. The southern section was controlled by the government. The northern section was controlled by the rebels, and the United Nations controlled a strip that went through the middle of the country as a DMZ, a demilitarized zone. Our school was five and a half hours uh, from the coast into the central part of the country. Five and a half hours, not including all the barricades and checkpoints you had to go through. And so it was a, a long trip in. We were... Uh, also now sharing our school with French, Ar French Army officers and the soldiers that were assigned to protect them. Uh, they were no longer the French Foreign Legion, but they were regular army. Our daughter Laura and her good friend Carmen Miller came out to help get the school ready because there was a lot, a lot of cleaning to do, as you can imagine. Um, that included like patching the roofs, which had holes in, in the roof, the tin, tin roofs. If you went up into the attic, and you, the darkened attic, and you looked up, you saw uh, all these pinpricks through the tin roofs that had been caused by bullets falling through. Because we were literally right in the middle of a crossfire there. Uh, but the amazing thing is, the bullets passed through the tin roof, but none of them ever passed through the ceiling. And the ceilings weren't like what we have here. 
they were just a thin placard uh, separating the, the attic from, from, the, from the room below. So we had to get those, those, pat, those patched. It was like looking in Flagstaff, looking up at the night sky and seeing all the stars. <laughs> That's what our roofs looked like. Uh, that summer, there were some good times. I don't have all bad things to talk about, but there were some good times. Uh, we planned, 4th of July came along, and we planned a, a 4th of July picnic. And we invited the French soldiers to, to share in that. We started off with uh, a game of softball, and that turned out to be very hilarious, because most of the French soldiers had never played softball before. And uh, so it was very interesting. We had to teach them. Some of the French soldiers never figured out you know, how to swing. Some of them were just as happy to take the bat by one hand, and when that softball came along, they just swatted it, you know, like that. And uh, then, then once they hit it, what do I do? Oh, run. Okay, what, that way, that way? You know, and, and so it took a lot of training. One guy swatted it, great hit. Uh, he went to first, then to second, and then grounded third and came up the home plate, and then he stopped. He didn't, wasn't quite sure what to do now. So we grabbed his leg, picked it up, set his foot on the home plate, and everybody laughed and cheered. We had, had a really good time. What? And then after the softball game, we had a picnic for him. You know, typical American Fourth of July picnic. We had the hamburgers and hot dogs and french fries and, and um, chips and, and things like that. And so we were busy enjoying our meal. One of the staff members had the foresight to bring out 